Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. As I announced last week, we are going to pause our coverage of the attempted murder trial of Michael Barrison and shift our attention to a couple of high-profile Los Angeles trials. Season 7 of Jury Duty will focus on two sexual assault trials, the trials of Harvey Weinstein and Danny Masterson, that are currently taking place at the same time on the same floor of the Clara Shortridge Fultz Criminal Justice Center in downtown L.A. Because neither of these trials are being recorded, we have shaken up our jury duty format. Two times per week, on Mondays and Thursdays, you will hear new episodes with reports from journalists who are in the courtrooms as these trials are happening. Here to introduce each of these trials are our correspondents Molly Miller and Brittany Bookbinder. Hi, I'm Molly Miller, covering the trial of legendary Hollywood mogul Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein is currently serving a 23-year prison sentence after being convicted of rape and criminal sexual assault in New York in 2020. In his L.A. trial, which is expected to last six to eight weeks, he faces four counts each of forcible rape and forcible oral copulation, two counts of sexual battery by restraint, and one count of sexual penetration by use of force. I'm Brittany Bookbinder. Down the hall from the Weinstein courtroom, television actor Danny Masterson faces trial on three counts of forcible rape dating back to 2001 and 2003. Much of the media attention so far has focused on the fact that Masterson is a member of the Church of Scientology, as were his alleged victims. While Judge Charlene Omedo has taken pains to declare that Scientology is not on trial, there will be testimony at trial about the practices of Scientology as context for why the women waited a decade to report the alleged attacks to the police. We are going to begin the season with a detailed breakdown of the charges faced by each of the defendants, followed by a conversation with Molly and Brittany about the status of both trials. That's all coming up right after the break. 
Weinstein produced some of the biggest cultural touchstones of the past two decades. From critically acclaimed features like Pulp Fiction, Goodwill Hunting, and Shakespeare in Love, to hit reality shows like Project Runway. Films produced or distributed by Weinstein's companies have won a total of 81 Oscars. And up until his fall from grace, he held the distinction of being the second most thanked person during the Academy Awards. The first most thanked was Steven Spielberg. Now, the 70-year-old is a convicted rapist with rotting teeth who can barely stand without the assistance of a walker. He's been accused of sexual harassment and sexual assault by over 90 women, many of which came forward during the height of the Me Too movement. Now, five of those women are complainants in Weinstein's case in Los Angeles. They will testify under the pseudonyms of Jane Doe 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So today, I'm going to walk through the charges listed in the indictment against Harvey Weinstein and tell you a bit about what we know about these five women. Jane Doe number one is an Italian model who alleges that Weinstein raped her while she was in Los Angeles for the LA Italia Film Festival in February of 2013. Most of what we know about this woman comes from a 2017 article in the LA Times in which she spoke to reporters on the condition of anonymity. She told the reporters that she had only met Weinstein once before the incident. They were introduced by an acquaintance in Rome, but their interaction was brief. When they met again at the LA Italia Film Festival, Weinstein didn't appear to remember her, but after midnight, he showed up at the Mr. C. Beverly Hills Hotel where she was staying and asked to see her. She declined, but he eventually bullied his way into her room after assuring her that he didn't want to have sex. Jane Doe number one says that she tried to talk to him about her kids, but he became aggressive and demanded to see her naked. Then, quote, he grabbed me by the hair and forced me to do something I did not want to do. He then dragged me to the bathroom and forcibly raped me, end quote. After the incident, she claims Weinstein invited her to parties at his house, but she did not attend. According to the indictment, the criminal charges that Weinstein faces from that incident are one count each of forcible oral copulation, sexual penetration by use of force, and forcible rape. Jane Doe number two is a model and actress who previously testified at Weinstein's New York trial as a pattern of abuse witness. According to the New York Times, this woman met Weinstein in February of 2013, just one day after he allegedly raped Jane Doe number one. At the time, Jane Doe number two was a 22-year-old woman trying to break into the film industry as a screenwriter, and she met a woman who arranged a meeting for her with Harvey Weinstein. She was told to bring a script to a hotel bar in Beverly Hills, but when she arrived, Weinstein wasn't interested in discussing her writing. He asked her to follow him up to his hotel suite to continue their conversation, and when she got there, he allegedly trapped her in the bathroom. She testified in New York that Weinstein then undressed, tried to pull down her dress, and started pinching her breasts and masturbating. He then ejaculated and left the room. Weinstein faces one count of sexual battery by restraint in relation to the incident. Little was known about Jane Doe number three until recent weeks when prosecutors discussed details of her allegations during pretrial motions. The deputy district attorneys stated that Jane Doe number three met Weinstein while working as a masseuse at a hotel in Beverly Hills in May of 2010. After she gave Weinstein a massage, he allegedly followed her, trapped her in a bathroom, and masturbated in front of her. 
In a bizarre Hollywood twist, prosecutors also revealed in pretrial motions that they intend to call Mel Gibson to support the testimony of Jane Doe No. 3. Gibson is a friend and client of the masseuse and will be allowed to testify about an occasion when he brought up Weinstein and she had a traumatic response which led him to understand that Weinstein had sexually abused her. According to the indictment, Weinstein is charged with sexual battery by restraint for assaulting Jane Doe No. 3. Jane Doe No. 4 is the only public figure among Weinstein's complainants in the LA trial. She has identified herself to the press as Jennifer Siebel Newsom, the documentary filmmaker and actress who is the wife of California Governor Gavin Newsom. Siebel Newsom previously accused Weinstein of abuse in a 2017 Huffington Post essay that she wrote after the New York Times ran an article that exposed Weinstein's pattern of paying off sexual assault accusers. She wrote, quote, I believe every word that was written in the New York Times because similar things happened to me, end quote. Later in the piece, she explained, quote, I was naive, new to the industry, and didn't know how to deal with his aggressive advances work invitations with a friend, late night at the Toronto Film Festival, and later an invitation to meet with him about a role in the Peninsula Hotel." End quote. Siebel Newsom didn't describe the details of Weinstein's assault in her essay, but the criminal indictment accuses Weinstein of subjecting her to forcible oral copulation and forcible rape. The alleged incidents occurred between September 1st of 2004 and September 30th of 2005. Jane Doe No. 5 is Weinstein's final accuser, and the woman we know the least about. According to the indictment, Weinstein is charged with two counts of forced oral copulation and two counts of forcible rape in relation to the woman. The offenses allegedly occurred in November of 2009 and November of 2010. Pretrial motions revealed that the woman told her then-boyfriend that she was raped by Weinstein, and that after the sexual assaults, her twin sister noticed that she appeared emotionally distressed. It's possible that both individuals will be called to testify at trial. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And now with a breakdown of the charges against Danny Masterson, here is Brittany Bookbinder. Jury selection for the trial of Danny Masterson began the day after the beginning of that process for the Weinstein trial. As of this recording, opening statements in the trial have been completed, and the state's first witness has begun to testify. We will catch you up on the trial in our conversation later in this episode and in the coming installments, but first, I will lay out the charges against the defendant. Danny Masterson is a 46-year-old television actor, perhaps best known for his roles on That 70s Show and The Ranch. He is also a member of the Church of Scientology. On June 16, 2020, Masterson was charged with three counts of forcible rape. According to the indictment, Masterson allegedly raped three women in separate incidents between 2001 and 2003 at his Hollywood Hills home. 
If convicted, Masterson faces a possible maximum sentence of 45 years to life. The three women in this case were Scientologists at the time that the alleged assaults took place. Since the alleged assaults, however, all three have left the church. The DA's office investigated the cases of two additional women who came forward about allegedly being raped by Masterson, but decided not to indict on those counts. In the state of California, there is no statute of limitations for sexual assault cases that took place after 2017. In cases prior to 2017, the statute of limitations is 10 years. However, because of California's one-strike law, the statute of limitations does not apply when there are certain aggravating factors, including kidnapping the victim, using a dangerous or deadly weapon or a firearm in the commission of the assault, administering a controlled substance to the victim in the commission of the sexual assault, or having been convicted of committing sexual assault against more than one victim. Here is a brief breakdown of each charge. Jane Doe 1 was 28 years old at the time of the alleged incident in April of 2003. At that time, she was friends with Masterson. She went to his house for the purpose of retrieving a set of keys. That night, Masterson was having a party. When she arrived, Masterson made her a drink. Within 20 minutes, she felt, quote, blurry, weak, and queasy, end quote. Masterson threw her in his jacuzzi, then carried her upstairs. In and out of consciousness, she woke up to Masterson raping her. At one point during the incident, Masterson brandished a pistol and said, quote, don't fucking move, don't you fucking move, end quote. Jane Doe, too, was 23 years old in 2003. At that time, she knew Masterson through Scientology, but ran in a different group of friends. She became better acquainted with Masterson between October and December of 2003, when she accompanied her roommate to a bar with several Scientologists, including Masterson. She gave Masterson her phone number, a couple days later, Masterson invited her to his house and told her to bring a bathing suit. She agreed to come over for a drink, but declined to get in the pool. When she arrived, he immediately handed her a glass of red wine. Soon after that, she felt weak and blurry. She remembers that they started kissing. When he began to penetrate her, she yelled for him to stop and repeatedly said, quote, no sex, no intercourse, end quote. He proceeded to rape her. Unlike the other complainants, Jane Doe 3 had been in a romantic relationship with Masterson for six years at the time of the alleged assaults. The alleged assault that is part of the indictment occurred between January and December of 2001, when Jane Doe 3 was 21 years old. She was asleep and woke up to Masterson allegedly raping her. She attempted to push him off and told him she didn't want to have sex. When he continued, she grabbed his hair, which, she testified, was off-limits. He then allegedly hit her with a, quote, loose fist, end quote. Soon after each of these alleged assaults, all three women reported what had happened to close friends or relatives. Jane Doe 1 told Lisa Marie Presley, who is expected to testify at trial. Additionally, Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 3 both reported their alleged assaults to officials within the Church of Scientology. Church officials listened and documented their allegations, but prohibited them from reporting to the police. That's because church doctrine forbids reporting criminal activities of church members to the authorities. In Scientology, the punishment for doing so is being labeled a, quote, suppressive person, end quote, which typically results in isolation from one's family, if they're also involved in the church, and harassment by the church. In addition to the criminal charges against Masterson, the three women in this case, along with Jane Doe 3's husband and another alleged victim who was never a Scientologist, have filed a civil suit against Masterson, Scientology leader David Miscavige, and the Church of Scientology. 
The suit alleges that the church covered up the alleged assaults and took extreme measures to silence the women, including stalking, the invasion of privacy, and the intentional infliction of emotional distress. For instance, the poisoning of two pet dogs. Okay, now joining me for a freewheeling discussion of their trial reports are Molly Miller and Brittany Bookbinder. Molly, Brittany, welcome. Lovely to be here. Hi. Brittany, let's start with you. Can you paint a picture of the atmosphere on the ninth floor of the criminal courts building with both of these trials happening at the same time on the same floor? Absolutely. So the ninth floor has been abuzz with activity. Everyone who's there to observe has been commenting on how unlikely it is that these trials, which are similar in a number of ways, are happening at the exact same time. And both started out with about 75 potential jurors being called in for three days in a row. And that's in addition to the other trials that are in progress. So it's a bit crowded with a mix of people, some of whom are there every day, and it's business as usual, like the bailiffs and the attorneys, and then a lot of people who've never been there before. And every time Danny Masterson walks down the hall, I still find it kind of stunning, partially because he's this minor celebrity amidst all of these regular people he probably otherwise would never have had any interaction with, and partially because he's out on bail, while of course Weinstein is not. And opening statements in the Masterson trial began a few days ago, even though they actually began jury selection after the Weinstein trial. Why is it moving so much more quickly for Masterson than for Weinstein? Yeah, I suspect it's taking longer for Weinstein because there are more Jane Doe's, more counts, and that means more witnesses and more issues to go through. I also get the sense that Judge Olmedo, who's the judge in Masterson's trial, doesn't want to delay for any reason. She keeps things moving along at a nice clip. And I would imagine Weinstein's more famous than Masterson, and the tales of his alleged sexual assaults are far more widely known, so it may be more difficult to find jurors for the Weinstein trial that don't know anything about the case or who are at least able to be impartial. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they, the lawyers on his trial have said publicly that they think it's going to be very hard for him to get a fair trial, and they seem to be doing everything they can to ensure what they would consider to be a fair jury. Well, Molly, what's your sense of how this trial of Harvey Weinstein is similar to and different from his 2020 New York trial? Right. So the similarities are really going to be in the substance of the material. So obviously both sexual assault trials. But the Los Angeles trial, I think, is going to be much more sprawling due to the fact that there are more Jane Doe's here. So in New York, there were two. And in Los Angeles, there are five. Another major difference in this trial is that it's just not quite as high profile as the first trial in New York. New York was explosive. It was this titan of industry coming to justice. And now Weinstein is showing up in Los Angeles already as a convicted rapist who is serving a 23-year prison sentence. But it is really important for us to remember that this trial is still critical because in August, a New York judge granted Weinstein's petition to appeal the verdict in New York, which means it is possible that the conviction could ultimately be vacated. Right. And one other distinction is that Weinstein was based in New York. He's sort of a legend in lower Manhattan where the trial took place. Whereas out here, there are an endless series of scandals and countless numbers of high profile Hollywood individuals who have fallen from grace. 
Absolutely. And at this point, there are over 90 women who have come forward and accused him of some form of sexual harassment or sexual assault. A lot of those women are from Hollywood. Many of them stepped forward during the Me Too movement. So you're absolutely right, Carrie. It's an environment where Harvey Weinstein is not necessarily a golden boy, to put it lightly. Brittany, can you glean a narrative strategy from the prosecutions and the defense opening statements in the Masterson trial? For example, what are their respective roadmaps for convincing this jury that Masterson either committed these crimes or should be found not guilty of the crimes? Right. So the prosecution's opening mainly laid out the events of each of the three charges, as well as other incidents of assault that aren't included in the charges, but that the Jane Doe's are going to testify to. They seem to be trying to get ahead of certain points that the defense may bring up. For instance, by saying how in certain cases, one Jane Doe's opinion has evolved over time about what she considered to be an assault. They haven't said much about the corroborating evidence they're going to be bringing in to support that testimony. And they seem to be leaning fairly heavily on the notion that Scientology plays a major part in this case, which is true, although the defense clearly doesn't want to bring Scientology in as much. And I have to say that the prosecution does seem to have a very clear case on the narratives alone. And by bringing up the policies of Scientology, which caused a delay in reporting, it seems that the prosecution is trying to get ahead of a defense argument. But what's interesting is Philip Cohen, the lead defense attorney, has said that he isn't going to be making an issue out of delayed reporting. And, you know, just one other thing to note on the prosecution side, one thing I think that's missing, they're not talking directly about the issue of whether Danny Masterson drugged the Jane Doe's, how he did that or with what. And I'm very curious if they're going to get into that. The defense strategy at this point seems a bit more straightforward. Cohen basically started by explaining how each victim in this case has been in communication with each other, even though an LAPD detective warned them not to communicate. So when you hear these stories, there's a lot of consistency among them, which would seem to a casual observer to indicate that Masterson has a pattern and practice of committing assaults in a particular way. Cohen seems to be suggesting that the degree to which the stories are consistent with each other doesn't make the victims more credible. It makes them less credible because they have contaminated the other's narratives of what has happened. He used that word a lot, contaminated. And of course, he thinks Scientology is a red herring in these charges, which, as he said, he really focused on that the charges are about three particular nights. So he seems to be really trying to focus the jury's attention on those instances and ignore evidence uh, that he seems to be okay with bringing up that Masterson might be, quote, a bad guy or a bad boyfriend. Molly, I know we haven't heard openings yet in the Weinstein trial, but have either of the parties tipped their hands on their trial strategies during the jury selection process? You know, they actually have. During motions in limine, the prosecution has indicated that they're going to argue that Weinstein has engaged in a calculated pattern of behavior in which he sought out young women, arranged to meet them at a hotel to ostensibly speak with them about business, then trapped them in a room and sexually assaulted or raped them. And so as evidence, the Jane Doe's are going to testify about their experiences with Weinstein. And the prosecution is also going to bring in 
fresh complaint witnesses. These are individuals that the Jane Doe's allegedly told about the assaults shortly after they occurred. Now, the defense is going to argue that all of these sexual incidents were either consensual or that they never occurred in the first place. And so to do that, they're going to bring in evidence which indicates that some of these women continued to have a friendly relationship with Weinstein after the alleged assault occurred. They're also going to bring in evidence in an attempt to undermine the women's credibility. For instance, with Jane Doe number one, the defense intends to bring in a police statement in which she mentions that Weinstein instructed her to suck his testicles. And they will use that statement to call her entire account into question because at the time, according to the defense, Weinstein no longer has his testicles. So long story short, we're going to hear way more about Weinstein's genitals in this trial than anyone wants to. Yeah, amen to that. One last question for both of you today. We've seen on the list of trial witnesses Mel Gibson on the Weinstein trial and Lisa Marie Presley in the Masterson trial. Is there anything particular that either of these judges are doing to try to limit the sort of circus atmosphere of celebrity witnesses and chaos that those witnesses can bring? It's a little hard to say at this point. You know, they're limiting the seating, so only a certain number of people can come into the gallery. In the Masterson trial, Lisa Marie Presley is coming in for a very particular purpose to corroborate what one of the victims allegedly said to her. So I imagine that the testimony will be fairly brief, but I think we'll have to wait and see what measures they actually take to cut down on the chaos. Yes. And in Weinstein's trial, Mel Gibson actually will be testifying in a similar fashion. He is testifying as a fresh complaint witnesses for one of the Jane Doe's. One of the Jane Doe's was his masseuse, and she allegedly told him about the incident that occurred with Weinstein, which she says was sexual assault. And so the judge is going to allow Gibson to testify in a very limited fashion about that event. In response, the defense attorneys wanted to bring up Gibson's history of making anti-Semitic remarks, as that might be an ostensible reason for him to be speaking out against Weinstein, who is Jewish. However, the judge is going to be limiting their cross-examination of Gibson and will not be allowing that into evidence. Got it. Well, Brittany, Molly, thanks again for being with us. And we're really looking forward to your continued reporting on these trials. We'll talk to you on the next session. Thanks, Carrie. Talk to you soon. And with that, we conclude this first episode of Jury Duty, the trials of Weinstein and Masterson. If you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. 
Jury Duty is created and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was reported and written by Molly Miller and Brittany Bookbinder. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trials of Weinstein and Masterson.